When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Off Talkle Empire, something happens in the Big Ten West race. I'm trying to pet my dog to keep both of us from going insane. It's not going well. Your source for Big Ten talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! You're listening to Off Tuckle Empire, where it appears that our Big Ten football podcast still has two more weeks to do of regular season. Um, as it slips into very irregular territory, uh, we're recording this still three days after the heaviest sports loss I've ever taken. So... This man was present for the Packers' home divisional round loss to the Niners last January, folks. Well, the reason I was so upset about that one was because I pretty accurately, as it turns out, diagnosed we will never be this close again, ever. We will never be this close. And also a quarterback that I had at one point really liked. Um, I just thought he was going to go down the field and win the game at some point because, like, why would he not? He's been doing it all year. So anyway, that element was at least present in the game that we already talked about last week. Um, uh, Hey, I guess you got something out of me. So anyway, uh, I'm Steve Braun. I'm not a Slepazaurus on the internet. Um, On the internet, I mean, who knows how much longer Twitter will be around. I was hoping that it would be around long enough for me to do a a really epic finale for the the Champagne Room shot recaps. But, uh, you know... Not that's, looking like it. It's uh, yeah, that's going to <laughs> not looking like it. Yeah, the other yes, yesterday my wife asked if we had if I had any plans for the first weekend of December. I died inside. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. We don't. That's it. We are just we are off to the most enlightening start. We're here to help you through sad season in the Big Ten footprint. It's been dark for several hours here as we record in the not too late evening. So I'm Andrew Krzyzewski joining Steve here. I'm going to carry him through this. It's it's a one set of footprints thing. Our combined weight means that those footprints are very, very deep in the sand, but we're going to get through this one heaving lug out of the sand at a time. So, as you mentioned, deep into the conference schedule now, we have a couple more weeks of football to get through. Full schedules, of course, nobody's taking breaks this late in the season. And that said, we're going to have to get right into it, I'm afraid, because in the noon slate, not even big or nude, because ABC grabs a hold of this one. <laughs> Assholes. National broadcasts. Well, it's let's be frank. It's about Michigan more than you. Um, Illinois going to the big house. 17 and a half point dogs when I check this line on Saturday. That is an unbelievable line, given the over-under. I don't um, see how I don't see how Mr. I cannot solve two extremely mid defenses when absolutely everything is on the line is going to get two scoring chances against this Michigan defense. 
<laughs> I think the I think what you would look at is Michigan's passing offense has proven a bit less potent than you would expect given the personnel they have available. They can be a little bit insistent on the run. They're, I do perceive an attempted Heisman push for Quorum here, so they may insist on that even if Illinois is able to shut it down, which you really ought to be able to because you, even with Nicholson's injury, Illinois has the personnel on the back end to pretty much lock up and play man, devote the extra attention to the box, and contain Quorum such that they have to play the same kind of game you do, which is a few yards at a time. You apparently think Quan Martin is that guy. I do not. I think Quan Martin largely specializes in delivering big hits and uh, not always legal ones. Um, ends up a step behind in man coverage against um, most teams' number twos. Not sure how they'll fare against Sure. Teams. Who would be Michigan's number two that you're concerned about? I don't know. Exactly, because they don't throw their receivers. They don't throw their number two. So whoever it is you're concerned about in the matchup with Quan Martin, he might get five targets if they feel like taking to the air. And if you consider that McCarthy might miss one or two of those on his own, I don't know that you need to be especially concerned about the damage. Maybe this is the week when Michigan finally does open it up, put some things on film for Ohio State to think about. Maybe they do run away, but they didn't cover against a terrible Michigan State team. So let's not pretend that they've actually been an unstoppable steamroller Aside from the Penn State game, which was an extremely impressive performance, it has been a very weak schedule that they've ended up playing. So I have to admit Illinois' performance against the run the last couple weeks against considerably weaker opponents running the ball than Michigan is, that does not augur well for this. But again, Michigan is perfectly content to play a pokier pace for the most part. Uh, The most obvious path to covering the spread here would be turnover generation, which Illinois has been very good at this year, to fire up to the extent of like a plus two or a plus three is probably what it would take to keep this one close. Well, I mean, obviously the path to winning this one is not to continue to just hand it off to Chase Brown into a loaded box out of the shotgun. Uh, of course, my concern, of course, if they end up, you know, losing on a last second field goal because they just completely did all these tweaks to the offense... I think that would make me even more mad because it's like, why didn't you do this when it mattered? If they had anything to add to this offense, it would be reasonable to assume that they would have added it during the most important Illinois game in, like, a decade, at least. It would have been reasonable to assume that. Uh, yeah, I would have to say that the the key to that the, the main path to victory to this game is a lot of big-time Tommy. This was also true against Purdue. They won't do it. And even if they did, I'm not sure it would work against these guys. These guys are not Purdue. Um, What I feel like is the most likely thing to happen is that Michigan is going to specifically attack the things that are supposed to be our strengths in order to kind of... They like to do the opposite of what what Ryan Day does, which is to, like, you know, kind of just, I will pass whenever the hell I want to because I'm a big brain genius. Everybody look at me, call up the plays. Whereas Michigan's like, I I will do the hardest thing here to prove how strong I am. (laughs) Right? Like, they they, they do that. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. No, that's that's apt. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That being said, though, 
it, it also helps that the thing that they believe they are good at, they are actually really good at. Like, this is a really good offensive line. I'll tell you what. I'm not going to take Blake Corm in, in our fantasy team this week, but I am taking the Michigan defense and Jake Moody. I would, I'm thinking about Moody. I don't, there are better matchups than Michigan's defense. Um, but again, I'm not the person to listen to in JMC. I haven't checked where I am in the state. Well, they're going to hit Chase Brown in the backfield a lot harder than other teams have because they've got bigger, faster, stronger guys than a lot of teams. And True. so yeah. when Chase Brown is hit as he is receiving the ball, he, like many other running backs in that situation, may fumble. Sure, that's possible, but. It's also not a category that Illinois has lost very much this year. Um, so, anyway, what are what are the weather conditions like on Saturday? Not that it's I don't know. Matter. I will I mean, be in Las Vegas. It is a nine a.m. start there. <laughs> it's it's hard to see a reasonable route to a win here. The more normal the game is, the more it's likely to go in Michigan's favor. Again, if you get a couple of turnovers. I would say special teams, but that really hasn't been Illinois' forte this year. It's tough to find a way to an upset here. It is a, I mean, a 17 and a half point spread against a defense that is still fairly sturdy. I mean, I know the last couple weeks they've given up more than you might have expected, but I still like it. What is the score? I mean, all right. So I guess the way that this gets out of hand in Michigan covers would be if Illinois' offense does not change anything up and sticks with the game plan they've had the last couple weeks that has been less than successful. If you do that, you're not going to score 10. Do you have your phone on you? I do. I'm Barry Looney Jr. You sent me a string of text messages. I have seven unread messages from Steve. (laughs) I'm Barry Looney. No, they're from Barry Looney Jr. All right. Illinois offensive coordinator. This would also... Also satisfy the Run the Dave series of clips from, the, is, from the Jim Bowman era at, at Ohio yes, State. What I so. sent him was simply a diagram of a delayed handoff out of the shotgun up the middle. Well, you've said seven times. Unless, let me pull this up again really quick here. No, no, no. You don't run anywhere near this many four receiver sets. This is this is a this is inaccurate. This yeah, is this is just poor film stuff. One of them is a tight end. So, <laughs> Imagine three of them are tight ends, and we're closer to accurate. All right, moving on. Also in the noon time slot, Ohio State at Maryland, 27.5 points. Oh, before we do that, actually, the over-under for Michigan-Illinois is 42.5. Feels about right. I would probably lean under. I don't see how Illinois scores a touchdown. Um, I, I mean, Isaiah Williams breaking free is the only way that's possible, in my opinion. But, um, I, but I, mean, I really don't think that they're going to absolutely blow you out. I don't. I just don't think this Michigan team is built this might way. Might do one of those, like, sick things where DeVito hits Hightower in the corner of the end zone from, like, 40 yards out, and everybody goes, holy shit, I didn't know they could do that. Wow, when are they going to do that again? And the answer is never, because DeVito only plays, like, two more games for this team ever. And they're not going to call it. Yeah, um... But to, to finish that thought, I mean, again, Michigan was trying to run the score up on Michigan State, and they didn't really open it up all that much. So I don't think I would probably hit the under on this one. But again, I don't usually I I don't gamble at all. But again, that's probably how I would look at this one. So anyway, Ohio State Maryland, as I began to say, twenty seven and a half points. 
to the favorite are the Buckeyes. Uh, the total by far the highest in the conference, 64 and a half. That seems to assume Maryland is going to contribute something on the scoreboard. Not necessarily unreasonable. Yeah, I no, Ohio not unreasonable State's at all. defense will allow some big plays. They did. Get, they gave up 14 to Indiana last week, albeit, again, given the way that that game opened up, how much of that is really against Ohio State's first stringers playing an aggressive you know, play style, who can say? But a 27.5 point spread is a large one for a team that has a very unclear health situation with their running backs. It is true that Ryan Day has never had a problem continuing to throw the ball even as the margin gets a little bit out of hand. I think Stroud has basically fallen out of the Heisman picture at this point. But look, if they're undefeated at the end of the year and he's been their quarterback the whole way, that's another reason to keep throwing it. Um, Also for style points in the rankings. Because you could very well be dealing with a situation where if you lose to Michigan, you don't play in your conference title game. You still want to have an impressive enough resume otherwise that you know if you lose by one score, you still have a road to get into the playoffs. So there's an incentive for Ohio State to open this one up as wide as they can. I wouldn't be surprised if they do and go ahead and cover that. It is a big number, though. And against the Maryland team that, despite hitting a bit of a skid recently... It is not as big a number as Penn State won by. True. And that was just last week. And again, Penn State with considerably less to play for, even if they've done a good job surfing James Franklin does really like to rub their nose in it. It's That's true. That's also true. James Franklin yeah. really, really likes to stick it to those guys. And I understand he was a coordinator with Friedgen. Is he? He's presumably still mad about them firing Ralph, I suppose. Which, I mean, not unreasonable. Oh, yeah. Even this much time later. I totally get it. I'm um, sure there are a lot of Maryland fans that agree with him. <laughs> well, they might they might disagree. They might have... No, no, no. Yeah. For him, it's the onion. <laughs> heartbreaking, worst person you know makes a great <laughs> point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> James Franklin's never had that much stubble, but yes, you'd have to transpose the pictures in your head. Northwestern at Purdue, Boilermakers favored by 19 and a half, which is probably the biggest number I've seen in their favor outside of your cupcake games at the beginning of the year. Well, gee, what kind of a shit-ass team would lose at home as three touchdown favorites while leading the fucking West? You'd have to be a real shit-ass, unprepared-ass team with a clueless offensive coordinator to do that. I have no idea what kind of clown shoes outfit would blow an opportunity to lock up the West by losing as a three-touchdown favorite at home to a team that certainly seems bound to non-bowl land. So the over-under here is 48. Um, that's not going to happen unless Purdue chooses to go for style points. I'd be su- <clears throat> excuse me, surprised if Northwestern clears more than like a 14 or a 17-point total. And then you would, you know, obviously need Purdue to get well into the 30s. Somebody show me a prop bet for the number of Northwestern quarterbacks that'll play in this game, and maybe I'll sign up for DraftKings or whatever. Um, but this should be a Purdue walkover on paper. Again, I guess you could check the weather forecast if you wanted to find a way for this to go poorly. But, you know, the weather was at least cold in Champaign last week, and Purdue was able to handle that reasonably well. So, <coughs> excuse me. Carrying on here again, a deep noon slate because we're cramming all of our games into two time slots. Now we have the battle for old Spitty, Indiana going. Ugh, it never gets less upsetting. Bing. 
Indiana going to Michigan State, uh, 10.5 point favorites are the homestanding Spartans. Over-under, also 48. Again, the drama with Indiana, if you could call it drama, around a team that's won three games is the quarterback situation. Last week they went to Dexter Williams the second after a terrible start by Connor Basilak. Do they do that again? Do they basically try to turn the page to next year? Or are they maybe still looking at that Purdue game as, all right, we gave Basilak a little bit of a breather to get his mind right. He the previous week they sat him ostensibly because of injuries. Do they choose to hold him out another game and then fire their best shot at Purdue? Or do they just roll with the young guy because they think he's the better option long term and they're trying to move on to their next starter? It's interesting. I mean, you could see I could see it going either way. I don't really know. Um, well, I'll tell you what. If suddenly there's a coming out party for Dexter Williams, that could be fantastic news because then at some point somebody will call him Sexter Williams. And then, of course, then the dark side to that is that somebody might actually have some proof that he is, in fact, like a really major Sexter. <laughs> so, but he doesn't come to that. Um, Michigan State has struggled with the quarterback run this year, but it has been more in failing to account for quarterbacks scrambling. So when you have a guy like Williams where they're going to call more designed runs, Michigan State's defense has generally looked ready for that. But still, they've given up some gash plays to the likes of, you know, J.J. McCarthy is certainly an athlete, but Tanner Morgan, for example, got a couple of big gainers on them on the ground. Ideally, they'll be better prepared for a guy who is definitely going to pull it down and run if his first read isn't there. They have not passed a test like that this year. I don't think Williams is quite the level of savvy that a guy like Morgan is, but he's a much, much better athlete. So on the other side of the ball, Michigan State's finally gotten a little bit of a groove with their offensive line, um, substituting Baldwin in at left tackle and losing Matt Carrick for a while at guard has, I mean, this is basically the only group they have left now that they've been willing to play and found a little bit of success with Jalen Berger on the ground. Um, Peyton Thorne has calmed down on the turnover front and they got their tight ends involved last week too. Daniel Barker finally had a big game after being mostly a huge disappointment and possibly a double agent. I still haven't ruled that out, but. Well, it's not possible. He finishes the same record he would have had if he'd stayed. Well, he caught a touchdown last week. He caught a touchdown last week. Um, I think that brings him to like three on the season. Yeah, well. Looks like he has uh, hands. Maybe could have caught something over the middle. Would have liked to see it. Not just dropped it in the middle of no coverage, like a certain other team's tight ends did repeatedly. So moving into the afternoon slate, Wisconsin 13.5 point favorites at Nebraska with an over-under of 40.5. I'm not sure Wisconsin should be giving almost two touchdowns to anyone right now. I guess it does have to be said that Nebraska's defense is the type you want to see when your quarterback play is completely incompetent. Wisconsin ought to be able to just give 25 carries to Allen, another 20 to Garendo, and get out of here with a two-score lead. They ought to be able to hit that number pretty easily on a Husker team that I have to imagine is ready to fold the tents. If I found things funny anymore, it would be very funny for Wisconsin to be eliminated by Nebraska. Yeah, and it's so Wisconsin technically still alive, correct, but it would require quite a bit to happen in front of them. And actually, I wonder if they are still alive, given it. Well, they are. There's just one yeah. very specific scenario. Right. Right. 
and it would certainly involve winning out. So any reason to think this game is going to be the one you want to tune into in the afternoon slate? Um, well, actually, this one looks like it's at noon. All right. Again, I put this together, like, as the games were happening Saturday, so who cares? Time, again, what is time? What are the afternoon games then? I again like uh, I can't believe afternoon games are Penn State at Rutger and And Iowa, Minnesota, yeah. correct? So it's just the one that I I pulled this information off of one of the sports books, so I don't know why they got the game time wrong. May have been moved because nobody cared about Wisconsin and you know, that game always looks like an interesting Oh, hold on now. The scrimmage. greatest fans in the multiverse are still going to show up and sell out that stadium. That's a totally real and legitimate thing that's going to happen, sir. Well, the only way I've ever seen a sell at my Memorial Stadium is if they finally, finally take the goddamn East Balcony out. That's the only way it's ever going to happen again. Honestly, most stadiums should downsides. Well... <clears throat> Of course, the alternative was win the Michigan State game, but, you know, there's just no universe where that happens. So, anyway. Um, Penn State, 19.5 point favorites at Rutgers, over under 44.5. Hard to see a scenario where Rutgers puts up, up enough points to keep up. Um, you're thinking back maybe to, you know, the first half against Michigan, they made enough plays to slow down the run game, and they got a couple of big you know, if they get a red zone stop, they get a big special teams play that ends up in a touchdown for them. That's basically what you would have to get for Rutgers to score against this defense. Because from scrimmage, it's just not going to happen. Wimstad isn't there yet. He's got a lot of the tools. He could get there eventually. But he is not currently a quarterback who is going to use these weapons to beat that defense. You know, like sometimes you see a, uh, you know, one of the favorites to win the NCAA tournament. Like a one seed. It's like they have a one point lead at half. Oh, this could be worth watching. Oh boy. <laughs> and then they outscore the other team like sixty to ten in the second half. That's kind of what it feels like could happen here. Yeah, well again, that would be the same vibe of the Rutgers at Michigan game, honestly. And really even the Penn State against Michigan game. Um, where it's like you can see down to down. One of these teams is definitely better, but because football is such a low possession game that can end up resulting in an upset. Or, you know, again, think back to the Penn State win over Ohio State in the year they won the conference title. A lot of goofy things had to happen to overcome how much better Ohio State was down to down. But they did, and those things are likelier to happen in football than in any other sport, perhaps. Last game of the week, the battle for Floyd. Iowa at Minnesota. The homestanding Gophers, two-and-a-half-point favorites. The over-under... A robust 32 and a half. <laughs> uh, mild, mild improvement from the Hawkeye offense the last couple of games makes that over-under, I guess, a possibility. But to get to it, I think you, <laughs> Iowa's offense is probably going to have to score at least a touchdown, if not 10 or more points, to hold up their end of the deal. Because Minnesota, I think, will move the ball a little bit against this offense, but probably not... 21 points worth of offense. And Minnesota also wants to play a short game in terms of number of possessions. So they draw things out, they run the clock down, they run the ball a ton. Perfectly willing to take 8, 10, 12 plays when they can. 
And even if they don't, they're still going to extract the maximum amount of time, reduce the number of possessions, and reduce the scoring opportunities. So an over-under of 32, I don't think any gambler would ever tell you to bet the under on something like that. Because a couple, again, a pick six, certainly a possibility with Iowa's defense. Um, A long run by Mo Ibrahim slipping through a couple of tackles, certainly a possibility. And that puts you a huge part of the way towards that line being covered. So in terms of this matchup, again, probably the single most impactful game. You've got two of the co-leaders in the West facing off. Pretty closely matched, if you think about it. Who would you favor in this game? I really think it's Iowa just because they're the team that's won this kind of game. This is the kind of game that is won by the more experienced team. And even if Minnesota has more actual experience on the team, Iowa has more experience (laughs) winning this game. In being in this game. Nobody can outdo Ference in in the mental durability it takes to not just like rip the headset off and be like, fuck it, somebody just do something! Somebody just make a big play, do something interesting! Whereas at Kirk Ferentz, nothing he'd rather do for three hours on a Saturday than chew on a giant-ass wad of gum and watch nothing happen on a football field. More or less. And of course, Iowa winning this game puts them squarely in the driver's seat due to the head-to-head win over Purdue. Right. Minnesota winning this game puts, you know, should Purdue beat Northwestern somehow? Should Purdue not do something that no Big Ten West leading team would ever do? And lose as a three touchdown favorite at home. Um, should they win? Three score. Then Minnesota. Three, three, yeah, three yeah. score. Yeah. So anyway, should Purdue win? A Minnesota victory puts Purdue pretty squarely in the driver's seat due to the head to head. Yeah. So uh, clear, clear rooting interest there. Yeah. Yeah. So Illinois is absolutely not winning. Um, there is literally no. Results from this entire Big Ten football season that would surprise me more. Okay. So, that'll bring us now to around the country. And since our recording time was delayed due to circumstances, we can tell you that in our Maction update, actually somewhat of a surprise. Bowling Green and Toledo are currently at halftime where the Falcons lead the Rockets 21-14. to Toledo currently atop the West Division at 5-1 and in the conference. Could have basically, I think, actually locked it up with a win today. But trailing at the half um, to Bowling Green, which has somehow found its way to 5-5 five and five despite being statistically one of the worst teams in the country. Uh, again, Mac has been pretty down this year, so that's not entirely surprising. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bowling Green has overperformed somewhat relative to their statistical profile. And they are very much alive in the East race where they are behind a their game behind the Ohio Bobcats. A resurgent Ohio Bobcats. Very Curtis, su- Curtis Rourke did display some flashes at the end of last year, but this was just like, hey, maybe they could not completely suck next year. No, it's it's basically turned into he is his brother. Um and yeah. the Bob the Bobcats are themselves up 17-3 over Ball State at of course, halftime. Of course if they do that then that clears the way to Toledo to, to to clinch this thing. Although, wait a second, no, we're this this is already week twelve for them, so I think Toledo has already locked it up. Wait, week twelve, seven, three, five, and one in conference. They've only played six conference games, according to this. They only play eight conference games, I think. Right, so they would have to. So if Toledo loses, they could conceivably only be a game ahead. I think they might have the tiebreaker though. Yeah. 
So anyway, it may or may not matter. Um, I should have gone more depth with this. I just, again, what even, what even is time? So the Mac still very much up in the air, but, um, more competitive. I mean, there's really, the only teams that are really out of anything are Akron, Miami, Ohio, Western Michigan, Northern Illinois. Yeah. Um, so again, you've got Toledo had a two game lead in the West, um, trailing at the half. Then in the East, Ohio's a game ahead of Buffalo and Bowling Green. Again, Bowling Green to be where they are with how they play is Bowling remarkable. Green has scored the fewest points in conference play among any MAC team. Yeah, and they're four and two going into tonight, and they're leading Toledo, who are the best team in the conference by a country mile. Um, but again, that's a rivalry game, right? One that I've always wanted to see. I mean, honestly, if that's the one, is that the one where they have? Uh... It's the one where Toledo has a missile pointed at Bowling Green yes, Stadium. Yes, that's exactly yeah. <laughs> what I was going to ask. <laughs> I have seen it. It is majestic. Sooner or later, that's a trip that we're going to have to make. Could have made it this year, but, uh, you know, child and all. So, <laughs> anyway, that is your incomplete and half-baked Mac update. I wish I had had a little more time to go further into it. Well, yeah, you know, we might as well swing around the, uh, the rest of these conferences. Of course, Georgia has things pretty well in hand in the SEC West and the East and LSU yeah. has already locked up the West. So that's going to be a whole thing. Uh, the question is if LSU somehow wins this thing, um, do they knock Georgia out of the playoffs? Boy, because I think it would you put two loss LSU in the playoff. Well, if you're not going to put two loss LSU in, you sure as hell can't put in a one loss Georgia. They beat exactly. So, so do you then, does Tennessee get back in? I think Tennessee would still get in at that point. <laughs> I yeah. think that would be by, by sitting, <laughs> by sitting out of the conference championship game and avoiding a loss to two loss LSU. I think Tennessee would be the team the committee would end up going with there. Again, a lot of other things depend, but they're going to be eager <laughs> to put, Hey, Millie, come oh, on. Here. I know the prospect of Brian Kelly winning a championship is horribly offensive to you. It is to me, too. Let's get through this together. Come here, Mill. But if he wins a championship there, he'll be fired within three years. We know that for sure. So we may as well just get this over with, rip that Band-Aid off. Um, and he probably retires, but then we might have to listen to him on a broadcast. So, man, oh my God. there's a lot of uncertainties here. A lot of ins, a lot of outs. Very complicated case. Um, other games you might want to keep an eye on. SMU at Tulane. The only game on Thursday should be a high-quality banger, the likes of which we're getting from some of these midweek American games. Um, it's SEC chicken shit week, so among the various just walkovers, look at Florida scheduling Vanderbilt. Like, that's ridiculous. I don't know how the athletic department's allowed to do that. Tennessee playing South Carolina this late in the year. And Ole Miss agreeing to go to Arkansas. Like, I don't know how that contract gets signed. But even if you got to give up, like, if, if it's if all you're getting is a two-for-one or a three-for-one for do like that, I just don't know how you end up going to a poverty program like Arkansas. This time of the season, like that's you're not getting in postseason form to me. That's ridiculous. I want to go back to the American though because UCF has the pole position by virtue mm-hmm. of beating Tulane, beating Tulane and Cincinnati. Yeah, with whom they are tied at five and one. Yeah, Cincinnati quietly moved to I think eight and two overall. And who's uh, UCF plays who this week? Um. Navy, but then they play South Florida, who is just just a horrible. Yeah, 
So you could very well be looking at UCF as the group of five representative this year. I think everyone else. Yeah, all three of those those teams are, you know, ranked but outside of the top 15, and they're all 8-2 and overall. Yeah. So pretty strong crop of teams there. Of course, SMU the most entertaining, uh, you know, in the next tier behind them in the American. Uh, The ACC, of course, Clemson has locked things up. And North Carolina has also, I mean, it's going to be Clemson, North Carolina. Um, these were wrapped up last week, uh, if not earlier. Um, In the Pac-12, you have probably the highest visibility, highest importance UCLA-USC game since that one where Sam Donald and Josh Rosen faced off and they tried to make a big deal out of it, even though those teams are both, like, middling. I mean, Donald's USC was fine. But Rosen-UCLA was, like, seven and five or something and they tried to make it into this titanic clash of these future nfl stars well i mean they did get picked one and three i don't think it was in the same draft but three was... no three and seven they went in the same draft yeah oh, i thought rosen was a number one he was they were both thrashed in the first round oh, but okay. no they okay. no they were that was the year mayfield went one. Oh right yes yes you were correct yeah <laughs> God. i still well it's still like we're here now several years out and it's like Rosen must be the hardest guy to get along with because he didn't. He never even played. Chase like he had, Daniel still has a con. Like Chase Daniel made an appearance this year. Yeah, I mean Rosen had one year with an absolutely awful Arizona team that was basically trying to tank, and then they fired their coach to bring in Kingsbury and Murray. And that's still just remarkably. But anyway, UCLA lost last week, stunning upset to Arizona, which takes some of the air out of this. But it's still. USC, I think, is ranked 8th, and UCLA is like 12, so this is still a pretty high wattage game. There are six teams in the Pac-12 that are ranked. Yeah, again, considering for like the first month of the year, the entire narrative was everyone dunking on them. Oh, their two biggest programs are leaving. This conference is doomed. Um, First, those two programs are among those ranked ones. Sure. But it's not like there's nothing left there if especially if Oregon, Washington don't end up getting picked off by the Big Ten, which still feels like a matter of time. But if they stay behind, that's still the core of a good conference. Yeah, of course, the thing about this USC-UCLA game is that because Lincoln-Riley, like, you know, file exports on the Oklahoma team he had last year and then imported them to USC, well, that team had a tremendous offense and no defense. So that's what you're seeing from USC this year. Which is how they, I mean, they actually came very close to losing to Arizona. You know, they're not going to get a whole lot of attention because their record overall still is not good. But consider, I mean, we certainly poo-pooed the Jed Fish hire in Tucson. And to say that they've done anything but their best case scenario, I think would be shortchanging them. There is, in my opinion, no heir to Kansas right now because Colorado beat Cal. Although Cal <laughs> is kind of vying for it, but they've got competition in their old buddy Stanford, who they're going to play this week. The teams are both three and seven. Cal is one and six in conference play. Stanford is one and seven. And you know what's amazing? Tickets to this game are hard to come by. <laughs> what's the 40th anniversary of the band? Yes, it's the 40th anniversary of the band. And also, I think somehow that making the game really bad 
has somehow made both teams really want to be there for like the that's, shittiest one. That's the most Bay Area thing I've yeah, ever heard. Like, like, I, like, like that. Yeah, that's peak hipster football attendance. Dude, right we're gonna. There. This game is gonna be freaking horrible, man. We're gonna go and we're gonna watch wire to wire. It's just these two teams that have like no business playing in this conference this Cheapest year. Their tickets are like seventy bucks for ESPN. <laughs> well, I, part of that may also just be. If you were to adjust that for normal cost of living and, you know, normalize that, that's probably something like, what, $33 anywhere else in the country? <laughs> hey, is that also the last game before a Memorial Stadium in Berkeley becomes FTX Stadium? <laughs> it's funny, we're saying this after the FTX crash. Uh, the Miami Heat uh, on-court graphics still says FTX Arena. <laughs> Of course, you know, yeah. Some, yeah. Uh, some, some, some under thirties lost eleven billion dollars of some people's money, including Tom Brady and Bill Clinton. Yeah, well, I read the article about how the Fondler's net worth went from sixteen billion to zero, and it's like, doesn't that mean that none of that was worth anything in the first place? Was basically the whole thesis of the article. Like, yeah, probably. None of none of thing that happens in the financial markets is real anymore, and we're surprised when stuff like this happens. Like, but apparently, it hasn't been. Cal yet. got the payments up front. Good for them. All right, look, well, good for them. That's very good for them, <laughs> and that also means that if the company still exists, it will in fact be FTX Stadium. It does not sound like that's going to be a bankruptcy that ends in restructuring. Um, I haven't followed the filings in a special in any particular detail, but that has disillusion written all over it. So it is very funny that they were basically able to air ads in which Tom Brady openly hawks a Ponzi scheme, <laughs> and it's just totally legal. Well, you remember, aren't they? I don't remember that, if it that, was... that was the ad with Tom Brady texting, calling everybody, and going, "You in?" with <clears throat> no other details. Um, <laughs> well, the, I think they're also related to the other ad with Larry David acting as a skeptic to various great projects out in history. It'd be like, nah. And yeah. <laughs> he ended up lining up to the next thing. And of course, in that case... That like, might have been Crypto.com. Was it? All right. Yes. That one and uh, Fortune Favors the Brave or whatever. Anyway, all of that is to explain... Why Cal Stanford tickets are going for seventy bucks for the nosebleeds? How 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 much is that in uh in FTX or whatever? They, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what coins they were trading. How much is that in Doge? I think you would just. I don't know how to type the infinity symbol on a keyboard, but there's a macro for it. I'm sure. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off-tackle, and 